0: Hello and welcome to Real Bible Stories. Join us as we deep dive into the historical, religious, cultural, political, and emotional context surrounding the real lives of real people in the Bible and the stories we've all grown to love. Welcome back and thank you for joining us today. So this episode's going to be pretty unique. So before we really dive into the, uh, the message, we're actually going to break off and uh, show you a conversation that Ryan and I had with a couple of the kids uh, in our church. So Ryan had some questions for them about their understanding of the resurrection of Jesus, their understanding of the death and crucifixion of Jesus. And it's really interesting to see how a child uh, understands the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then really we're going to come back and have a discussion about, well, do we have that childlike faith? And is our understanding at that level, or do we have a deeper understanding of the death, crucifixion, and uh, sorry, the crucifixion, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, uh, hope you enjoy.
1: So today, we're going to talk about the resurrection and crucifixion of Jesus. And what do we call that? Easter, right? Right. We brought in a couple special friends. We have um, Rylan, and then my two children, Christian and Ava. So I want them to introduce themselves We'll start with Rylan first.
2: Um, my name is Rylan. I've been going to the church for a very long time, well, as long as I can remember. And my favorite color is green. And how old are you? 11.
1: You are 11. Okay, so now Christian, you can let him introduce himself.
2: I'm Christian, and I have a pet lizard, and my favorite color is blue, and I play electric guitar.
1: You do play you electric do? He plays electric guitar very that. loud in the house, huh? We had <laughs> a rock concert last night. But you're also forgetting his most favorite thing in the world to do is to give his little sister a bunch of hugs and kisses it, it's it is true yeah. does he give you a lot of hugs and kisses no no, no. Really? <laughs> so um Ava you go ahead and introduce yourself sweetheart
2: my name is Ava um, my favorite color is um, purple and my favorite animal is a panda and I'm
0: seven
1: you are seven so we're gonna talk about Easter because we're getting ready to go into Easter yeah And it's really important, right? Because Easter, without Easter, then what Paul says is that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is in vain. You guys know what that means? That means Mm -hmm. we can't trust our faith. That without Jesus coming back to life, we cannot trust our faith. So I just wanted to kind of talk through the story and get your guys' perspective on it, okay? So first... um, We'll start at the garden in Gethsemane, okay? Okay. So you guys remember the story? This is right before Jesus is arrested, right? He just—so him and his friends all sat down at a table, and we call it the Last Supper. Mm -hmm. And Jesus gave us—it's actually when he told us to take the Lord's Supper to remember him because he knew what was about to happen. So after he gets done eating dinner with all his friends—
2: He gets arrested.
1: He does, but they go—but there's something first. They go to a garden, right? Right. Yeah. To pray right, that's right. did you guys remember how many times did he pray there
2: um i think I think it was three times it was yeah. three
1: times right? Well, it tells us that he came back and forth three times to pray and that he was praying so hard that he was under so much stress, right? Why do you think he was so stressed when he was praying
2: um so like he didn't want to like get arrested he doesn't want to die on the cross yeah
1: he knew what was about to happen, huh yeah so. Um, you guys were nervous doing this podcast, huh? Yeah. Well, I know Christian and Ava were nervous, huh? But now I'm not. Now, do you think Jesus would have been really nervous knowing that he was about to be, he was about to die on a cross?
2: Yeah. Definitely. Yeah.
1: How how do you think you you would have felt?
2: Really, like, really scared. Try to not die on the cross?
1: You would have tried, right? And I would just run away.
2: If I was Jesus, I would just run away and hide.
1: You would run run away and hide. (laughs) Well, good thing you weren't Jesus, huh? Mm -hmm. Because Jesus didn't run away. He faced it head on, right? But to what you said, Rylan, You know, um, one of the things Jesus prays when he's in the garden, he says, "Father, if there there's is
2: any other way, then do it. But if this is the only way, then I will do it."
1: Very good. Oh, my right? When there's something that's scaring you, or that you're really anxious about, what? How do you react? What do you do?
2: Um, we pray.
1: You should pray because that's what Jesus did, huh? Is that
0: what you do? You pray? Man, that's awesome.
1: What's some other ways that we, we handle it? Do we always pray immediately when always jumping on your bed? Do you say, okay, Heavenly Father, give me the grace and the patience? No. What do you do?
3: <laughs> Get out of my room! <laughs>
1: oh my right? God. But isn't it good, though, to... <laughs> When we look at Jesus and how he was scared and anxious and when he really didn't want to do something, but what did he do? He prayed. So he, there, he's in the garden, and then he sees a bunch of, bunch of soldiers coming up, right? And who's with these soldiers?
2: Um, Judas. Judas.
1: Ju- Judas, and who was Judas?
2: One of his disciples, Judas betrayed him. And also, yeah. got, Jesus had said, at the Last Supper, one of you shall betray me. Mm-hmm. And he also said to Peter... That you will deny me three times.
1: Well, we'll get to that, okay? How did the soldiers know who Jesus was? What did Judas do? Do you remember?
2: Mm. He told him that he told the soldiers that when I kiss his face, you will know that he is the one.
1: You will know by the one I kiss, right? Think about that for a second. Why do you kiss people?
2: Mm. Because you love love them.
1: Because you love them, right, Ava? When you are hurt and crying. What does your brother do with you? Because he loves you so much. He gives you a bunch of hugs and kisses, right? It's one of his favorite things. No. <laughs> um, but you, you kiss somebody because you love them, right? It's an infection, right? So what it, how does it make you feel about the fact that when Judas came up, he was betraying Jesus and he betrayed him with a kiss?
2: That's sad.
1: That's really sad, That's right?
2: Sad. That in order to betray him, he does something that
1: shows affection. Mhm. Isn't that sad? Yeah. yeah. So after Judas betrays Jesus, they arrest him, right? Do you guys know where where they take him?
2: Um to, to like where the crosses are at? To,
1: well, to- not yet. Where they first take Jesus hmm. when he's arrested is they take them take him in front of all of the Jewish religious leaders. And then they send him over to the Roman governor and his name was? Pilate. Pilate, right? Yeah. So Pilate interviews him and says, looks at him and says, you know, you didn't, you didn't say anything that was wrong. So he sends him back and says, There's, I found nothing wrong with him. So instead then he sends him over to King Herod. And King Herod was there to be a ruler over the Jews under Rome. And then King Herod looks at him and says, that's not wrong either. <laughs> So then they send him back to Pilate, and Pilate doesn't know what to do. So he says, "You know what? Because the Jews are mad, how about I just beat Jesus up a little bit, and that'll make them happy, and then they'll leave me alone." So they then take Jesus, and do you guys remember what they did to him?
2: They grabbed the whip, and they put metal spikes over, and they yeah. whipped him like they, forty, like forty times. Yeah, and then they grabbed a crown of thorns and placed it on his head, and oh. they ripped, and they ripped off his clothes, oh. and. And they said, "Oh, and here's your king, the king of the Jews."
1: Mm-hmm. So they so they beat him up. They send him over back to the people, and they say, "Look, I beat him up so bad, he learned his lesson." And the people said, "Nope, we want you to kill him. We want you to go crucify him." So Pilate, the governor, do you guys remember what he does?
2: He takes the he takes the thief who like murders, who's murders like ten people, and says. If you let me keep, if you'd let me keep him, I'll murder this person instead.
1: That's right. And yeah. you know what? The, do you guys remember what that murderer's name was?
2: Bruit something. Barnab. Barnabas.
1: Barabbas. 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 Now do you want to know something cool about that? Hmm. Bar in Hebrew means son. Abba in Hebrew means father. So you have the son of the father in Barabbas, and then you have the real son of the father in Jesus. And he brings forward both two sons of the father, right? Barabbas Barabbas, and Jesus. And they get to choose who goes free. And who do they choose? Do they choose the real son of the father or do they choose the murderous son of the father?
2: Barabbas. Barabbas, Barabbas.
1: the murderous son. And they choose him to go, right? And that means that Jesus then is what? They said he's going to be crucified, right? So they give him a cross and he has to carry the cross all the way up and then it's a long journey and then he can't even make it so they find someone named Simon to come help him carry the cross so then Jesus and Simon are carrying the cross up and then they get to the place called Golgotha right and they nail Jesus to the cross now when we t- when you think about a nail what do you think of
2: oh, like I really like like a sharp thing with the point thing on the bottom. It like is, but you, you guys you probably think of
1: the little ones that we would like put in the wall to hang pictures, right? <clears throat> yeah. These aren't small little nails. These are like big spikes. Oh. And they would take it and they would put it all the way through. Right. All the way through. And then they'd put the feet together and put it all the way through both feet. And then they would pull the cross up and you would hang there. And as you're hanging there, the only way to breathe is to push up from your feet on the nails so you can take a breath and then fall back down so you can breathe out. It's very, very painful. So when you're on a cross, you know what you actually die from?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You haven't. You, you, do um, you know?
2: Not, no air. like no Suffocation. Yeah. yeah. Because your freak. body
1: gets, is so weak that you can't push yourself up on the nails anymore and you just suffocate and you die. And because they beat Jesus up so bad and his body was already hurt, he wasn't able to push. He, his body was already weak and couldn't push himself up, right? How, how how does that make you feel about everything we know about Jesus and what he taught and what he did for people?
2: A little sad because he like died on the cross.
1: It's kind of sad, right? In the very it's pe- very sad, actually.
2: And the very people that he preached to and the very people that he healed and did miracles for are the ones that the ones that, were the ones that betrayed him and the ones that told him to go on the cross.
1: The ones he came to serve and he came to love, are the ones who then sent him on a cross. But then, what happens three days later?
2: He he roses he rose again.
1: He rises again, right? Do you think anybody was expecting that?
2: No. Would no. you
1: have expected that? No. What no. does he promise? He says, "I'm the first fruit of the the resurrection." That means he's the first one to rise again. Meaning, for those who believe in Jesus and do what he does, and are obedient to what he tells us to do. We too one day are going to what? Be raised from the dead? In him. When Jesus comes back a second time. So when we go into Easter, we should be celebrating. Should we be sad in Easter? No. Should we be scared in Easter? No. no. We should be happy, right?
2: Yeah. Not just for the Easter eggs with all the
1: candy in them. I mean, those aren't <laughs> really good. Is that what Easter's about?
2: No. no it's, it's about celebrating that it's Jesus about Christ.
1: That's right, and that's what we remember, right? But it's also we should be happy and excited, right?
2: That he rose again.
1: So I want to say thank you, kiddos, for for joining us. Yeah,
0: that was awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Wow. I hope you enjoyed that. So for me, uh, it was incredible to see the emotional response of those kids. So you couldn't see their faces, but Ryan and I sitting there, he would— you know, ask them a question, it's like, Well, do you understand what crucifixion is? And just the kind of visual response, emotional response that they had, when you really explain to them, Well, um, there's three nails, they put it through your hand, they nail you into a cross. And it's just a very powerful um response that they gave. And to understand that he that he rose and that he's no longer dead, you can just see the the love and the passion in their eyes. So that was that was the biggest thing that I gathered from that. Uh, but what about you, Selena? What 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 kind of uh, Perked your ears up as you listen to that.
3: Um, Well, Ryan briefly talked about it a couple of episodes ago about how these kids actually like know so much. And just to see it and hear it, it was pretty amazing. Like, like spitting out Bible verses and facts. It was pretty yeah, incredible. Yeah, it was like
0: verbatim for yeah. some of the responses. Names.
3: Even though like it, it was kind of hard to pronounce like a name, they, they kind of knew.
0: Yeah, they, they. I think that was also an incredible point. They like knew scripture, yeah, more like verbatim scripture than than I knew. I remember doing um, uh, Bible drill growing up. I don't. Did you ever do Bible drill in your church? No, Ryan. Were you ever? Do you know Bible drill is? So uh, Bible drill, uh, for for me was, we had to memorize all the uh, different books of the Bible uh, in order, and we had to be able to quickly find a verse in the Bible. Um, And you had like 10 seconds to get to that verse. So they would say Psalms 34, 15, and then you have, and then it's like, go. And then you have 10 seconds to get there. And then the first one to get there gets the point. And then there was a second phase of the Bible drill where you had to memorize, I think it was 30 or, or maybe, I think it was 30 verses. So you had about three to six months before the competition to memorize uh, these like 30 verses. And so they would then give you a part of the verse. So um, if, the, if it's in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth, Genesis 1-1, they would say um, God created the heaven and the earth. And that's all they give you. Mm-hmm. And then they say, go. And you have 10 seconds to find that verse in the Bible. So you would already have to oh, know where it yeah. is and then be able to step up and say, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Yeah. You know, I so, can see
3: why it's called Bible drill.
0: Yeah, because and I did this for years <laughs> growing up. Um, I don't think I ever got further than like the uh, the county level, but we did have uh, some of our church members that made it to like the state level competition. Like it was a big oh. competition. Be- it wasn't just my church; yeah. it was like a big um, statewide competition. They like went up to North Florida to uh, compete at uh, bigger churches. So
1: that's cool. I, I think it's a uh, well it one that like all that highlights the importance for children's ministry, a mm-hmm. good and invested children's ministry. I, I think sometimes people kind of treat children's ministry on Sundays as, as th- that's just something fun that the kids do um, and to entertain and mm-hmm. kind of watch them while we do real church in the <laughs> sanctuary. And the re- the reality is, is if you ever go over there, I mean, if you guys have a chance ever just peek your head in there mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning you're going to see the way they worship. Um, they're into it. They're all singing. They're singing loud. They don't care, um, about what the other kids think their voice sounds like mm. they're dancing. It's so actually dancing they're trying to overpower air. the other kids. <laughs> they're, they, they are, they're worshiping, um, with far more, uh, I don't want to just say animation, but I guess you could say vigor? passion. Yeah. And vigor. Mm. than than you see in, in the adult sanctuary sometimes. And, um, you know, knowing scripture and knowing, um, learning all that, that's why the Sunday schools and the Awanas and Bible drill, like that stuff's important because, um, kids are sponges. I think they said most of your spiritual formation occurs. I mean, by the time you're 12. Mm -hmm. So when you look at, um, as you kind of move forward in, in life and you kind of look at the young adults or, just adult believers, and mm-hmm. you're like, man, they've they've gone to church their whole life, but they seem very like biblically illiterate, or they seem very like uh, surface level, right? And it's like, well, wh- wh- why? And and that's, I mean, I don't want to pin all that failure on churches. I mean, I think ultimately the responsibility of that comes into parents and raising um, biblically literate believer mm-hmm. believing children. In um, the church is supposed to be like. Big resource to do that, right? And but but really though, it it just shows though when when you see that immaturity, it could be um, one of well, let's look at your children's ministry. Look, what do you offer parents to help them? Um, Are you discipling parents to be able to disciple their children? You know what I mean? Um, Are you creating opportunities to come along and help them disciple their children on on things that maybe they're weak in? You know, that's one of the things about our church that I love is that. I think there's there's a lot of good things that that are you know with our church, mm-hmm. but one one of the the primary things is that I think our children's ministry is is phenomenal here, I and mean, we really do emphasize and prioritize it. Um, and you see the fruits if you stick around long enough, which you know you probably won't. You, you guys will be you know, you're in the Marine Corps, so well, three years is um, a long time. <laughs> it is, but but I mean, there's kids now who are, I mean, they were marijuana kids in like middle school, and they're mm-hmm. like graduated from college, and oh wow. Yeah. Um, but you see where they are now and I'm like, man, they're, they're strong. Like they're, 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 strong young believers because, um, I saw how their parents emphasized, um, you, you know, all that. But, but and even then, like you go into a youth group, kind of just rant about youth group real quick. Go ahead. Um,
0: <laughs> yes. Well, are you talking about our church's youth group or youth groups in general?
1: No, no. Just like kind of in general, the way we've adopted how oh, to okay. shape youth group. Um, one children shouldn't lead children and Mm -hmm. what they try to do is try to find um these like you know really young hip you know pastors um if you will to lead the youth because they um want to make sure that they were still relatable and you know things Mm -hmm. like but but the reality is like i'm I'm, the job is not to i don't say necessarily not relate but the you you should be especially at youth as they're about to tran They're in that last stretch before they transition into adulthood. Mm-hmm. That that is a very pivotal time where you need adults saying, "I need to make sure I bring you up to the level of a mature." Yeah, it's like our responsibility, believer, right? our
0: responsibility to make sure that they understand um, what's going to be expected of them, not just within their faith, but within life. Like, how do you do life in a way that a Christ follower should and, and do prepare them life. for the world? Right? Yeah. It's um, like there's there's going to be different um approaches to life coming at you different faiths coming at you different right. it's like you're you're going to be exposed to things that you could never conceptualize and it's our responsibility to prepare them for those conversations yeah. not yeah. not tell them like this way or the highway but say like this is how you think deliberately this is how you critically think and um and and study so that you can further revalidate yeah. that there's a book um, it's, that it's the called is the true.
1: yeah there's a book called the uh juvenilization of christianity and essentially what had happened like kind of in the fifties with, with like kind of the cold war era and people kind of getting afraid that you had this communist party coming into the United States, mm. that how did we combat this? And there's like this whole context, like we don't have time to get into it right now. Of course. But essentially what had happened though in that time is instead of looking at the youth, because they were scared that they were going to get caught up in like communist movements, they tried to make church very palpable for youth kids So instead of looking at those the youth and saying I need to mature you to where um, to a healthy state of adult believers, um, instead what we're going to do is we're going to actually make Christianity juvenile to where it's more palpable for you just to get you to come to the youth events. So you're not going to, you know, communist events. Essentially, Um, (laughs) oh my goodness, yeah. And 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 that that culture has kind of pervaded for 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 a few decades now, where. Um, you, know, you, you you hear well, it all the time. Hear, let me give you this phrase: yeah, yeah. Who has heard this phrase? If um, you accept Jesus into your heart, all you have to do is accept Jesus into your heart. Just the just the opening statement there. Right? You I mean, have, yeah, you've heard that. i right? What does commonly. that mean? If you ever think about it, what does that truly mean? Um, what does that mean to accept Jesus into your heart? I wouldn't.
3: To me, it sounds like opening up your heart or yourself to Jesus.
1: You see what I'm saying, though. You see how it's such a kind of like a vague, abstract statement where yeah. it can mean a lot of things. Um, but that's because it sounds nice. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's palpable. It, it's um, you know, it's it's, it's the, the emphasis of of that's Christ's true because
0: Christ says repent, right? Which is very
1: specific. to mean to turn around. Yeah. Um, if you if you you, say, you don't have to change pro-
0: anything about your life, you just open your life to Him. It's like, well, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, "Repent and mm-hmm. turn away from your sin." And turn yeah, and that's another me. good.
1: That's another good one. How about this one? Um, come as you are. Sh- show me where in Scripture Christ Jesus ever says that.
0: He doesn't. But I it's have more heard he that goes, Well, we have a song called "Come yeah. as You Are" too. Definitely. Right, so, so a here, very popular here, here's song the thing: as you is, are.
1: is that statement wrong? It's not that it's wrong. It's incomplete. But Jesus never said "come as you are." What he said was like the invitation goes out to everybody. Right? Like, everybody's invited. Um, Mm -hmm. The parable of the wedding feast, for example. Um, The initial people who were invited to the wedding banquet Mm -hmm. rejected it three times, right? And then they end up beating and killing some of the messengers. So he says, all right, send it out to everybody. You know, everybody's invited. Um, He didn't care what they were wearing when they were invited, right? But they also were expected to have a certain wedding garment to enter the banquet. So the invitation was to all. And there's a response to invitation but then there's also an insurance that you had to be properly clothed in the wedding garment, right? So the idea is that what Jesus yeah. Jesus doesn't say just simply come as you are, even though I think that's true. What he says though is come to me and be changed from who you are. Right? He doesn't say come as you are. He says come to me and I'll change you from who you are. Yeah. And that's completely different. But because we we've I know we kind of went on a tangent on this, but because we have changed and kind of altered the um The idea of maturing children into into adult faith, what we've instead is we've immatured faith Mm. so it's palpable to children. And what has happened is because that's the foundation when they become adults, that's the expectation of faith they expect when they go to church, adult church. So when they go to adult church, well, if you start throwing some heavy food at them that they should have already been eating. Should have already been exposed to. They're like, I've never had this. And one of two responses occurs. One, they like they, it almost renews them, and they're like, "Wow, there's a lot to this," and kind of reinvigorates. But usually, what people say is, "Well, that's too heavy. That that's too heavy food." It's like God couldn't have expected uh, that. Yeah, of that's me. too radical. I, it's
0: I, like I'm, I don't want to change this thing up that I'm doing. I don't want to act different. I was told, "Come as you are." He's right. like, "No one told me I had to like change from who change I change from who I am." Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and you
1: know, you hear people say all the time, you know, "Well, I am who I am." You know, then. Like no, yeah, so God if is not who He is. Your, if you're God not says, I'm the "I am." I am. You know, you can certainly change from who you are, and that's the expectation. But besides the point, we're here to talk about resurrection because yep. going into Easter week, um, one thing I found with the kids in the conversation, though, I've always just been amazed by the logic and rationale behind children. Um, we always kind of look at children and their beliefs sometimes as silly. I think adults tend to be the more irrational, silly ones, um, because kids look at what is taught. And they understand. They don't understand all the deep exegetical and hermeneutical, all the jargon, the literary context mixed with you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. They 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 don't need to though, because um, for them they get the point almost immediately. um, That they get what what is actually being communicated in terms of God's love for us, you know, in, in the mission of Christ and. Um, And I think that's one of the things we saw. So what I kind of want to do is if we could just go through those same elements from an adult perspective, um, we'll obviously unpack the details, but you'll see like they really didn't really miss the point. Um, We just find much more complicated ways to get to that as adults because we, for some reason, need it. We
0: also like look for holes and try and, or there's a lot of people that will, that will like look for holes and try and like um, uh, take the gospel, take. Um, this witness testimony, like we talked about a few weeks ago, and um just say like well, because because of x, y and z or because of x, y z, um I can't believe it, or uh, because I don't have the details about this specific part of the story, well, I can't believe it. I can't um commit to this without this specific detail, and it's like, well, you can always get infinitely more uh committed and detailed in that um in that desire, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't study and we shouldn't grow, but to your to your point, the kids understand the point. Right. And let's start with that.
1: Well, let's start with it. So I think what would we start? We started first with the garden mm-hmm. um, when Jesus was praying. Um, there's a lot with the garden, but um, what, what did you this guys? This is when
0: he cried. He was crying He went and prayed uh, so three much,
1: times and um, the stress was so heavy that. He was like,
0: like uh, blood. Uh, yep. He was sweating blood, right?
1: mm mm-hmm. yeah. Anything big thing you guys had to take away?
0: What does that trigger for you? You're making a face, Selena. No, I'm what? thinking
1: <laughs> that's her. So- me- that's her. Socrates for me, when face. I, she, she has, she has the Socrates look when she's thinking she does the. the yeah, exactly. The, I did not even notice thumb, until just someone's like, why, the chair, why is yeah, your just one arm on the armrest? <laughs> and she's looking off into the distance. She has a very explicit. I am thinking. Mode right now. <laughs> yeah.
0: For, for me, when I learned that, um, the hill that he was praying on, he could look up uh, to, um, uh, sorry, the name of the building—the um, temple. Sorry, yeah. the, to the temple, like from there, and he's like praying to like the holy of holies, and from there he could see, and he's like crying out, and it's like, um, a very visual,
1: like that visual just really helped me understand. So a there's a bit. there's something. Can we talk while you think, Selena? Um, hey, go ahead. <laughs> let's talk about that because there's a big thing with that. So it's amazing when I was in Israel, I never realized because when you sit at that base in the garden. You look, you're looking up at Jerusalem because it sits on the hill. Of course, you see the walls, but that's on the eastern side of Jerusalem to where in Jesus' day, that's where the temples sit, and he would have been able to look straight up at the entrance. Now, why is that so important? Well, go all the way back to Genesis 3. Okay, now well, let me provide some other context. First, the tabernacle that God commanded Moses to build was a replica model of the of the Garden of Eden, okay? The temple was a fixed structure replica of the tabernacle,
3: mm.
1: okay? So all throughout that continuity, the temple, the tabernacle, is replicating what? The garden, yeah. right? So which means the garden was what?
0: Um, I don't know.
1: A, a temple. It, it, oh, it okay. Because if tabernacle. it's all rep- okay. Um. We'll have to at some point mm-hmm. go. Well, I, I no, got a question.
0: Why does the tabernacle represent the garden?
1: Why? Yeah. Well, that's 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 the point where it started. Adam had had a job, okay, um, to work the grounds of the garden, right? If you remember, it goes back to um, this is going to probably warrant its own podcast. Okay, but sure. Um, so there may be details if you're still left confused after this. But Adam was given a job to work the grounds of the temple. Okay, and he had a job in there. So you had to the, work the, of the, the land of Eden. You had the Garden of Eden, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, within that, that term "work the ground" is a priestly term. Um, uh, you see the same term used for the Levites for the tabernacle. There to be workers of the ground. Hmm. Um, the idea was is that just like in you know the days of of Moses when God would come dwell within the tabernacle, that's that was the meeting place. That's where God would come down and dwell in the Mm -hmm. Holy of Holies, of the tabernacle and the temple, right? Um, It's in the garden where God would come down and dwell with Adam. So there's very much this imagery of placement that Eden was not just a temple, but Adam was a priest, okay? Hmm. Um, And and you'll start seeing the tabernacle, I mean, the way it was charged to be decorated um, matched that of a garden. It was meant to replicate a garden. All the same elements that that are given in the tabernacle are present in the garden. Like I said, this is going to be its own podcast at some point. Um, Because even even the the, the tree of the fruit of, uh, or the tree of knowledge, um, well, that's placed in the garden. He says, if you eat from it, you will what? Surely die. You'll surely, surely die, right? And fast forward in the tabernacle, what would sit in the tabernacle? Um, is the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. And what would happen if you touched the Ark of the Covenant?
0: You'd you die. die.
1: Right? Mm-hmm. So what was placed in the Ark of the Covenant, it was the Torah, which represented the wisdom of God, mm-hmm. fruit of knowledge. You see, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. There's a lot going on to where to, to help us understand a lot of the what made Eden important. You have to understand kind of what God reveals in terms of the tabernacle and all that. But here's the big point as it re- goes to Jesus, though. After you have the whole drama with Adam and Eve and, and, um, and then this is also why, by the way, when in Hebrews, when it says that Adam sinned first, you know, well, how did Adam sin when Eve was the one who in terms of the narrative of Genesis three seemed to sin first? Well, the reason why is because Adam had a job to be a guardian of the garden and he failed. He let what's a snake.
0: So he said, a what snake, is a, a snake? snake?
1: Yeah, a snake. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of, from Jewish thinking, remember wow. how they think in terms of clean and unclean, mm-hmm. what is a snake? Oh, oh it unclean? unclean? It's unclean. I didn't know that. Adam left or, or let an unclean thing enter the temple. You see what I mean? And that, it was that unclean thing that entered the temple that then tempted Eve. So Adam, in my opinion, right? Th- I think there's other views of this. You know, some yeah, think, well, he sinned because he, maybe it was watching her do it and he just let her do it to kind of see, you know, in my view, what it is, is that he had a job to be the guardian of the temple. He failed as a guardian, let something unclean enter the temple that led even to, and sin. Right. Mm-hmm. So all that. So what does God do? He expels them out of the garden and then he places a cherubim and it says he placed the cherubim on the East side of the garden. So now mm-hmm. you have a, angel protecting the entrance to the garden hmm. okay now what side did um the garden of gethsemane sit on eastern side of jerusalem okay. he's looking at the entrance of the temple that's on what the eastern, eastern side because it had to be in the in the um instructions god gives moses the tabernacle the entrance of the tab- tabernacle always had to face east even when they moved to the the desert it had to face east. Oh my goodness. Okay. Why is it facing east? Why does the tabernacle and the temple why does the entrance have to be from the east? Cuz Eden the entrance was from the east. Mm-hmm. And it's from there that it was guarded, right? So as you now if you go walking in um there's something else that as you walk into the temple, you have the temple, right? You have the outer the the outer perimeter, not perimeter, but the uh, court mm-hmm. of the temple. You would go into the temple itself, and then you had within the temple what's called the Holy of Holies, right? Mm -hmm. What separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple? A curtain. Yeah, it was a curtain. The veil, right? A curtain. There's a guardian there. One day out of the year, the priest would enter, and maybe God's presence would come and dwell there and give a message, right? So when you go back to like the birth of Jesus Zachariah, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the day of atonement where he'd be going in to the Holy of Holies on one day of the year. And that's when God comes down, but then he tells him he can't speak, right? All that is on that day where Adam used to have in the garden is when God would come down and dwell with them, right? Yeah. But now there's a curtain there. There's a separation. It's guarded, right? And if you yeah. were to enter that, the, the Holy of Holies, um, if you were to enter the Holy of Holies not on that day, that's why you have all the stories of God striking striking them down, dead, yeah. right? So. So you got this essentially motif going from the Garden of Eden going into the temple where from sin there's been an expulsion and now there's been a barrier because not only did Adam and Eve fail at keeping things that were unclean from entering the garden, they themselves were now unclean and expelled from the garden. Yeah. That's being kept. That's why the only reason the priest would go in one day of the year is because there was this whole ceremony of rituals to make one clean yeah. be- before you ever entered it, right? Yeah. And what do you see at the, at the the cross of Christ at rise? He passes. There's an earthquake, and what do the the priests see? The, the, the veil, went, veil when the veil gets torn, torn right? Yeah. Now that's separation because it's been paid, right? Yeah. So the whole idea is that you have Christ looking up at the entrance to where there is separation, and, and the night before he is cruci- or or he is arrested, or the night he is arrested. He's looking up at the entrance that so many years ago where the separation has occurred between humanity and God. Mm-hmm. And it just shows you for him the focus of mission. You know what I mean? He's looking, that's what I need. And that's when he starts praying, but Lord, if there's another way, if there's another way I can tear that mm-hmm. veil down, let's do it. Because I don't want to go to the cross. Yeah. And then obviously there wasn't, there was no other way. Right, but, but this is putting strain and stress on him to bear that, you know what i mean and and he's as he's praying, he's literally just looking up at that, he's looking up at um essentially what was a symbol of what had occurred, the split and separation that had occurred between God and man, yeah, um, and that had persisted for that entire time. You know what I mean,
0: it's a pretty incredible perspective um to kind of walk it back all the way to the garden and to show that. I didn't really think that the uh, holy of holies, the veil, could represent the uh, the cherubim, the the angel that separated uh the garden from Adam and Eve, and and the then also the concept of like, well, the garden is clean, and so everything that was that was outside of it um is unclean and can't enter. Like,
1: well, it's just like the temple was then. Gentiles yeah. were allowed to enter the outer court of the temple; they weren't allowed to enter the temple. Gentiles. Yeah. In terms of remember mm-hmm. Jewish thought, right? Um, clean and unclean. Gentiles are clean or unclean. Unclean. They're unclean, unclean but they were allowed into that that outer court. Mm-hmm.
0: And they would teach in the outer court, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. right?
1: They were allowed to enter the outer court. They weren't allowed to go into the temple. Once you're in the temple, right? Which we would call back in Genesis um, two, you know, through four, which is what you'd I guess you could call as the land of Eden. Mm-hmm. The garden of Eden would have been the holy of holies. Where there was no separation, but there had to be a guardian for it. Yeah, Adam failed at that. Something unclean, and and I don't know. We'll have to hit that in another time, of um, course, because there's mm-hmm. kind of a lot there too. But but the idea though is that Christ is there, and he's looking up at a failure so many years ago, and he's like, I I'm on mission to restore that. But it's heavy. You I know, mean, it's weighing heavy on him, and that's actually demonstrated in another element of the garden. Um, it's not just that he was in a garden but was the 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 name of the garden mentioned. Is it the uh, olive
3: something about olives?
1: That that was the name of the mountain. So the, the Mount so, of so olives. Gethsemane mm-hmm. is the the name of the garden, Garden mm-hmm. of Gethsemane. But it's at the base of Mount Olives. So it goes mm-hmm. there's like this huge mountain at yeah. the very bottom it's where that garden was and then there's like a hill that rolls up Okay. where Jerusalem sits. So he's at the bottom of the base of that looking up at Jerusalem, right? But it, it mentioned the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means, in Hebrew, um, and I think this is in Matthew's Gospel, but Gethsemane means um, olive press. So and so
0: on the Mount of Olives, he's in the olive press.
1: Right. He, he's at the olive press. Now, here's the thing about an olive press in those days, and just kind of give you some contextual, cultural background with this, but um, you take all your olives, and you would put them in a basket. Right, a little mm-hmm. weave basket or whatever. Um an olive press, you would go first and you would place it and and the olive press had essentially three phases that this basket would go through, okay, to make oil. Um to make olive oil. Yeah. The first you'd have like hanging is a a a really heavy rock. Okay? And then they would drop that rock from the press onto the basket, and the basket would squeeze all the olives and all the and oil, oil would drip out of it, that. right? Okay. And that was good oil. That was the best of the oil. Um, that oil would be used and be sent to the temple, okay? So after it presses with the one stone, they'd bring it up. They would move the basket over to the second portion of the press, so this which is like would a have a heavier stone. Would have a heavier or like two stones. Or, oh, okay. Yeah, like it, but. More weight, more right? More weight. Drop it down. It would squeeze it more. More oil would come out. And that would be the, the oil they would use for like eating mm. and stuff with, right? Mm-hmm. Pull it out. Move the basket over. Now it's the heaviest stone or like three stones, right? Like just more more weight. Mm-hmm. Those stones would come and push down and compress the basket and the the in it. Get every last little drop. To get every last drop. And that would be used for like lighting and lamps and, and things like that. But the point is, is every time... It gets heavier and heavier and more, more and more pressure. pressure, and you're just getting squeezed of all the oil that's coming out. And um, biblically, oil was always representative of like faith, mm-hmm. so that's why mm-hmm. when and anointing. You, as well. you, you get anointed. Well, what, what are you getting anointed by? You're getting anointed because it's supposed to be um, your are you're, because because faith. And we we talked about this with Samson, right? What faith is and isn't. But yeah, but it, it's there's nothing physical with it so how do you have something representative of faith that you can touch and smell and so that they went with, you know, oil, mm-hmm. you know, oil is, is the kind of like that, um, physical represent- representation of faith. Right. So just, just keep that in mind that as he's in the garden of the um, the, the garden of the olive press, there's three phases of it to where each more is more pressure and oils getting squeezed. Faith is getting squeezed out. Right. Yeah. Um, how many times did Christ go and pray in the garden? Three, three times. times and what, so what do you think was happening as he was there praying it's like it's pressure. the burden was getting
3: yeah. heavier and heavier he knew what
1: getting was coming getting heavier and heavier and heavier and all that faith pre- was just pressure just squeezed out of yeah. him to the point where like you were mentioning he starts bleeding yeah. um that's actually a, a real thing by the way um, you get so stressed that your um like your blood pressure almost like starts it the, the, pops uh, the little blood vessels. Capillaries pop, and yeah. you start actually bleeding or sweating blood or crying blood, right? Yeah. Um, but that just shows the amount of weight and pressure Christ was under as he's looking up at the entrance of the temple and says, but that's what I'm here for, right? Um, what I thought was interesting about what I think Christian said it, my son, who is an avid listener of our podcast, by the way. Really? Uh-huh. Oh yeah, he loves it. Oh, um, my goodness. That's great. He, uh, How old is he? Um Ten. 10, yeah, 10 turn, palatable turn, for 10, turns 11. Olds. And, uh, <laughs> let's see, by the time that this podcast hits, this episode hits, he'll be turning 11 in about three weeks.
0: Yeah. It's about the same time. Yeah. Maybe so, the same week actually.
1: Yeah. It's a, uh, no, Oh, I'm sorry. Two weeks. It'd be two weeks okay. by the time this is uh, I think I'm gonna get in trouble if it's not right. Like, Dad, <laughs> you said, it. I don't know. Anyways, I think Christian said it, but one of the things he caught up on was with all that said though, right? Like, he knew what was coming; he had that pressure where most of us would break. It's also by the way kind of um mirroring the temptation the testing he went through in the wilderness with Satan at the as he started the ministry, so as he begins to start his ministry, he gets baptized, which marks the start of his ministry. He's out there and he's tempted three times. Hmm. um He's hungry right he's been fasting um he's essentially starving at that point. he's weak, right. Mm-hmm. And he resists the testing of Satan. Part of me wonders if if that same last temptation, because everything he everything he was offered by Satan was a way out of the cross. It was a way out of the cross. And he says, well, look, you want the world? You want the kingdoms? You want to be king of the world? I'll give you it. And That's what Satan says. I'll mm-hmm. give you the kingdoms. I want yeah. you to be king of the world. You just have to bow your knee to me. And you don't have to go to the cross. You can get all that, Right. What Christ was very faithful and was like that's not what my father wants. That's not the will of him. Of course, this is the way, right? Um, and part of me wonders that if, as he's in the garden, if what he's reflecting on that whole time, and he's almost even getting tempted and tested again. That's why he keeps telling his dis- disciples, "Pray, mm-hmm. keep watch." Well, why is he keeps telling them to to keep watch and be aware? Because he knows Satan is maneuvering.
0: Mm-hmm. That there's
1: maneuvering going on. He goes out there, and there's more pressure satan's moving and he goes back and they're sleeping he's like wake up stay awake i need you praying right now because satan is moving and, and i'm feeling the pressure and and i don't want to do this for that i'm i'm that god's asking me to do um you know what i'm saying like th- there's a lot of elements that kind of get some summed up in that garden yeah yeah um but what i liked what my son christian said was he really just kind of deduced it all the way back to courage because he had said, you know, if he knew that he was about to be arrested and die that death, he's like, I would run away. He's very honest yeah. about yeah. that. Um, and what what impressed him about what Jesus did is he stayed. He continued to pray. He didn't run away. You know, the, it, it was the courage of Jesus that impressed him. Yeah. And I thought, you know, from
0: from and his perspective, situation Jesus was in leading up to that moment too, where. Um, um i wouldn't say a lesser man i guess a lesser man because Jesus is god uh would have would have would have run away or just be like well i'm just not going to do this because they're persecuting me they're attacking me they don't want me here um but he understood the purpose
1: well and yeah. he, he's also the he represents the true state of what our heart should be towards god which of was course. this is that no part of the human nature of jesus wanted to go to the cross but he mm. recognized that he doesn't do what he wants he does yeah. what god in heaven wants when people
0: make and, when people try and say that like well if jesus was god um how could he have also been man and it's like well he it's moments like this where you see um, that he was hungry he was tired he was tempted um, he had to deal with these very human emotions he would he cried he was happy he celebrated he laughed um these, these very human things. It's like, yes, he's very God and very God, but also you see, you see him struggling to, which must be extremely frustrating for him. Like in hindsight, like, Oh man, those emotions. <laughs> um, it must've been very hard for him to, uh, to go through that and having those um like physiological responses where, you know, this is coming you and, and your body does not want to go through with it.
1: I know it's, uh, Especially why. So that kind of, that kind of goes into the trials. So let's just hold that for a second because, okay. um, the injustice behind it, you know what I mean? The injustice of, of that whole event that killed him anyways would make us not, we, we would take Peter's response, pull the sword out and yeah. want to fight you. know what, mm-hmm. what I mean, um, but let's talk about that. Cause in the garden, there's another piece that happened in the garden. That's where he's arrested. And when he comes up, um, there's Judas that are Mm -hmm. to betray him. Right. Um, but what does he betray him with? Uh, a kiss, a kiss, right. Mm -hmm. I remember,
0: Um, I remember the kids were, I remember how he said a kiss, like just so softly and serenely and like, um, poetry. Yeah. It was so poetic. He always like a kiss. (laughs) It was like so sad, but also disbelief. Yeah. Rylan's the drama queen. But, um, but yeah, it it was a kiss.
1: Yeah. Rylan, he, um, what, if you remember what, particularly Rylan, because he, he picked up on the point of that too, is what a kiss is and the affection of it. And he used he, that endurement and, and affection or something meant for affection and was used to betray Christ, mm-hmm. right? And, and his simple words were what? It's sad. Yeah. That's sad. But there's a lot more to that too. Um, go back to Genesis 2. It says when God created man, it says that He breathed, which is very indicative of the Spirit. By the way, to, to breathe, breath, spirit. He mm-hmm. um, says that He breathed in man's nostrils. Life mm-hmm. um, seems kind of odd, particularly for us in our English translations. But we miss what that's the association and what that's really. Um, it's a. Um, I don't want to say an idiom. What's the word? A euphemism, maybe? Yeah. A better word. But do you know what that, what that, say to say to breathe into someone's nostril, what that translates as or suggests? A kiss. A since kiss. We're talking Yeah. About like, yeah. 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 Th- think about how do you put from your nostril to someone else's nostril? To and give breathe. like CPR. Right. Yeah. You've you got to do yeah. Nostril to nostril. To breathe from one nostril into someone else's nostril assumes that you have to be mouth to mouth too. Mm. Yeah. It's a kiss. In other words, the whole image around Genesis 2 is one of like a a father or a mother holding a baby and bringing that baby up to and giving them a kiss and breathing life into them. So the the, the idea here is is kind of like a twofold thing, which is one, what um, it kind of tells us about the idea of kissing and intimacy. I mean, you ever wondered how weird that kind of is? Like... You ever think about like that? That is what our why do we kiss? Yeah, physiologically yeah. and the biologically like, that, that's well, That's fair. No other animal or creature you know what I'm saying? does like this, we're like, like you don't need kisses. You know what I have this yearn and desire to do is to put my lip on your lips. Like, mm. um but dogs do that. Like, why? Well, they also lick butts. So, oh, so
0: okay, that's true.
1: <laughs> uh, Burning yearning <laughs> desire to, but 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 what it tells us though is that. Much of the idea, like the very first kiss ever recorded in the Bible was of God kissing Adam to bring him to life. Mm-hmm. It's one of sharing spirit with somebody. It's one of um, and when God did that through the breath, right through his breath, um, i.e the spirit is what made Adam alive and then here you got the switch. So when God gave us the first kiss to the first Adam, it was to give life. Now, as Judas comes to give a kiss to the second Adam, as Paul says, he gives him a kiss to bring death. Hmm. And it's it shows really... about our approach. God approaches of us to give us life, but we all we ever offer God is death. And, and there, that that concept is so much deeper than I think you guys realize. Cause I, I
0: think it really highlights the completeness of humanity's failure and betrayal to its creator um because his fi- his final act of creation right bringing us to be and then you know and then he rests and he does that with a kiss with this um to follow that thought all the way through then is that that would be our ultimate betrayal like the final i guess you could say the final nail in the coffin is that we use that same Imagery, uh, a kiss, to, his love and affection to kill God
1: and and passion for us to love us as a creator and as as a father to bring us his, uh, to bring us in and intimately, you know, give us life through a kiss that we then turn around see Jesus, God in the flesh, Who's done no wrong, been in return that healing. And say, I offer teaching. you death with a kiss. The the thing with that whole death piece, I mean, um. If you remember, you know Adam and Eve. It, it it says, "Well, we're not supposed to eat from that tree or touch that tree, or um, that day we will surely die." Um, you notice so that they didn't die physically; mm-hmm. they did not die. They were cast out, right? And then they went on. Well, how did they die then? Because what we tend to do is we try to we tend to think that when it says that God created man, we use our definition. Of what man is i.e homo sapien yeah but god defines man different the definition that god gives is a a, man is somebody who has received the spirit and is alive and is on purpose for serving and worshiping and fearing god himself you see what i'm saying yeah for them that in that sin and that disobedience they were living for themselves they were worship for the intent of worshiping themselves right in other words on that day they died by his definition you are no longer a man if you are not serving and fearing god you are not a man you you may be alive right you may be a yeah. living thing but by his definition you are not a man and or, or a woman right like by his definition you that is not what we were created to do. So and, you're
0: not, Well, so you may be alive, but you're not living.
1: So, right. And, and the, the, the idea is, is that um, through that kiss that he shared his spirit and gave us purpose and gave us all that was then betrayed. And all we've ever done is offered him death. We, in other words, we've only offered him us living outside of the de- definition to which he created us for. And yeah. that definition being, Agents of worship and service and ultimately living in a, a life of fear of God. It
0: really hits home too that he was um he was put on trial by his own people. Like it was the Jews that called for his death. It wasn't he wasn't in war, at war, he wasn't preaching to the Gentiles and the Gentiles killed him. It was it was in Jerusalem at um, the center of the It wasn't just his faith. own
1: people. So we, we always kind of get this confused. He really had four trials. Hmm. The first one is he stands trial before the religious authority in, in the high priest home Caiaphas. Okay. He stands trial there. They find him guilty for blasphemy, right? Um, and they want him dead. But they can't kill him because that would have been dishonoring. Hmm. Um, but they wanted him dead before Passover. So, so they're doing it in the middle of the night, which also was against the law. And you even, the, the Gospels even say there were those yeah. in there, part of the Sanhedrin, who said, this is dishonoring. This The is, trial itself is dishonoring. Yeah, this is, you're doing this in the middle of the night. You, you're you're trying, where there's nobody else can see, because everyone's mm-hmm. sleeping, to where you can't have witnesses to defend them. Like, it, it was very dishonoring what they did. But they pretty much say, blasphemy, he's guilty, we need to kill him. Hmm. But Speedy they don't want to be the ones to do it, because, so what do they do? They go to Rome. Yeah. Because The Roman governor, uh, Pilate, was the one in charge of the kingdom of Judea. Now, remember, there's two kingdoms at this point. You got the kingdom of uh, Galilee, which Herod is in charge of. Now you got the kingdom of Judea, which Rome was in charge Mm -hmm. of because Herod the Great's other son was so bad at it that they pretty much kicked him out, right? So they send him to Pilate, says, you know, he's causing up trouble. You don't want there to be a riot, do you? So Pilate, so he stands his second trial in front of essentially Pilate. Mm-hmm. Pilate comes back, who's a Roman authority, a Gentile authority, and they come back and he says, I find no fault with them. But you know what? He's not even my subject. He's Galilean. He's from Nazareth. Send him. He's one of King Herod's subjects. Mm-hmm. Send him up to King Herod. So they send him to King Herod. King Herod looks at him, who's now the Jewish political authority. Correct. He stands yeah. trial before him. And Herod's like, I find he, he's out of his mind, but he's not, he's done it's nothing like no wrong. Fault. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's done nothing wrong. Nothing
0: more killing him
1: over. <laughs> right, so sends him back. And Rome's like, hey, like, I found no fault with them. King Herod's found no fault with them. What's your deal? And that's when they start pressuring him. Well, there's going to be a riot. Or things may not be as stable as you, you know, and beneficial hey. for you. Mm-hmm. So then he's trying to, so they're trying to pressure Roman. You know, this is a lot of like politics going on, right? Of course. Yeah. So they go back. So Rome pretty much says, Pilate, well, I, I I don't find him guilty. Herod doesn't find him guilty. You guys are the ones with the problem. Let the people decide. So that's when he puts Jesus up. Like with
0: now, now Barnabas. he picks
1: democracy. Yeah. Okay, you see what I'm <laughs> saying? And um, and it, here's another interesting thing with that. You got uh, Barnabas is what we call him, but it's more Barabbas, uh, Bar Abba Barabbas. Like or I'm sorry, not Barnabas. Yeah, Barabbas. Bar Abba. Bar means son of. Abba means father. Mm. So Barabbas, Barab- Baraba
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, means son of the father. So you got him, one son of the father who was a murderer. He was one of the zealots. We always mm-hmm. call him a murderer. He was really a zealot trying oh. to, um, that, that's a, I a mean, that's a huge clarifying yeah, point yeah, it's then. Yeah.
0: a, a he's, perception. Yeah. Cause a zealot, um, I think we've discussed it already. They were a like a, almost like a religious movement within Judaism. A violent they, movement. Yeah, they wanted to violently take over And then over within that Rome. you had the,
1: the Sicarii who come out of the Zealots who were going around murdering um, yeah. Jewish and Roman elites who opposed um, – well, Roman elites because they're Roman, but – Jewish elites who anybody who had opposed a violent opposition to Rome. Yeah.
0: So they're killing they're Jews. They're killing. And, op- right. Yeah. So,
1: so when it says that he's a murderer, he's probably Sicarii. but, but there's, there's also a, a zealot I, within the discipleship too, because there's, there's Simon, yeah, Simon, the zealot, Simon the zealot as well. Yeah. They're all represented across all those sects. But the idea oh gosh, though is such a but that, That's not even the, the biggest point here. The biggest <laughs> yeah, point <I'm> here sorry. <laughs> is that you got one son of the father being pinned up against the son of the father. Hmm. Barabbas, Barabbas, Jesus, son of the Father, son of the Father. Who do they choose? Barabbas, the zealot. Right, they choose. We want that way. I we guess don't it want makes more way. sense. So not why they would people, choose the zealot, but then.
0: the the fact that they chose the zealot—he's not just a random guy.
1: Right. Well, they're, they're choosing is method. They're saying we want that way. We want, we want a want violent, violent uprising. We, we want to be liberated from Rome. He's like, I'm I'm offering you liberation mm-hmm. from sin. Like we we just want to be a. Liberated from Rome, we choose the zealot. Yeah, and um, so they're the ones who condemn. So you really have these four trials, um, of, of Jesus. My mind is and- still being blown. By the way, I'm just like, oh my
3: goodness, oh my. processing. Yeah.
1: <gasps> but the but, but but so there's the trial, right? That that that's been done, and, and we talked a little bit about it. The kids, um, we start talking about the crown of thorns. You know, the idea that that kind of goes all the way back to the burning bush. The same, because again, Genesis three. What does he promise? The the ground will now produce for you thorn and thistle. Mm. It's coming, it's a, a outworking of the expulsion out of the garden and what Adam failing to do his job, mm-hmm. allowing something unclean into essentially the temple, leading Eve into sin, and well, both of them into sin, right? So they're getting expelled out. Now they're going to a land where it produces thorn and thistle, right? And remember Christ as the second Adam now, he's looking up at Eden, right? It says, I need to tear that veil. I need to do my job and guard that, but also allow that not to be a barrier anymore between God and man. So as he moves forward, he stands all his trial. Now he's bearing the repercussion of the first Adam. It's through that same thorn and thistle that the ground would produce. The same thorn and thistle that when Moses interacts with a burning bush, the word there in the Hebrew is that same thorn and thistle. It's not just a burning bush; it's it's burning thorn and thistle bush. Like it's the same bush that they would have pulled to create this crown of thorns and put on Jesus's head. So he's bearing the symbol for sin, just as oil was the symbol for faith. Mm. This the thorn and thistle was the symbol of sin, um, with the ultimate one being death. Right? But yeah, he he bears this on his head, and we start going through, and my daughter Ava. When she looked at uh, we were start talking through the lashings, right? That the belt and all, just like the look on her face of like, wow, he did that for me. Cause she, we were even talking about it after. She's like, he did that for me, you know that that is
0: that was super like adorable. Um, just and and that really just arcs back to how raw their emotional response was, right? Cause you described, um, what crucifixion is and how painful it is and. And that you die at the end of it. And then um, when you said that, like, um, the reaction was just really pal- palpable, like, really tense and really emotional.
1: It was. You could tell. And especially when we start talking about the fact that how you really die on the cross is exhaustion and suffocation.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and it's like you're beaten so bad that you're pushing yourself up on the nail just so you can breathe, breathe in and breathe out. Right. And you're mm-hmm. just doing that back and forth. And he was so badly beaten that he died. He was only on there for the the cross for a few, Mm -hmm. for a couple hours. That's why pilot's so surprised when he comes and he's like, wait, he's already dead. How is he already dead? You know what I mean? Cause usually it would last days. I mean, it's, it's a very humiliating thing, but, but ultimately though, um, as we led it into though, with, with the cross and, um, talking about the empty cross. And I think, you know, you know, Rylan had said, well, you know why Lazarus or, or Jesus' clothes were folded and Lazarus had them on, because Lazarus would die again, but Jesus left him because he would never die again. Yeah. You know, um, I thought that was a really cool observation from him because um, that really is the anchor of, of Easter, right? Uh, it's He's the first fruit of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, through him, is through how we will all live again, and it, it's through him that has redeemed us and, Ultimately, when it comes to the kids, um, they get what so many adults miss, which is not just the joy of it, um, but the love in it, Mm. the The pain, the persistency, the courage in it, the passion in it. So I I think as we go into Easter week this week, um, I would hope anybody listening or anybody um, getting you know, you, one, you don't enter it lightly, but two, you really start reflecting on what it meant and what, you know, what carried Christ through that because it was no easy task, certainly no easy yeah. task. And it's not that, it's not, like I said, it's not simply that he was crucified, which is bad in itself, that the injustice of him being crucified, but the fact that he willingly did it and it was through courage and prayer that he was able to do it. Um, but But the fact that he, The reason why he did it. It wasn't even just for, um, you know, that was for my sake and your sake, you know what I mean? And um, many had been crucified before, many had been crucified after, Uh, but but none of those people who were crucified, one, none of them could save me. But two, no matter the justice of, you know, the cruelty of crucifixion, I'm glad that ended, but yeah. Kind kind of. I mean you still see it some places in the Middle East, but but not just the cruelty, but 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 the fact that they were executed and they died. It's you know, Jesus was crucified between two men who deserved it. One of the things that they say to him on the cross is, We're here because we deserve it. This man's done nothing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's the only one to ever die, let alone die that way, that didn't deserve to die. You know what I mean? Um and it's, and that's with so many, that's the paradox with Jesus that makes it, I'd say, I, I would argue that
0: there's a lot of people that die who don't deserve to die, but they really lay in, because when you no, talked about that's the, not
1: true. Because when you look at the Bible, oh, you're talking about all, all the sins. Okay. Why is yeah. death even a thing? Death is through sin. And because all men have sinned, all men die. So you could you could say, well, that man on death row didn't do the crime, but he's going to be executed for. But he certainly deserves to die. And he's,
0: yeah, okay, mm. I got you.
1: You know, see what I'm saying. Um, I understand. There's a difference between the injustice of the means versus the the justice of death. You know what I mean? And I get you. I, okay, yeah. okay,
0: so I guess I just wanted to make sure we clarified that that point. Yeah, yeah. Mm.
1: I mean, I'm not saying that anybody who's ever you know because that is a thing, right? But mm. like people um, were taken
0: well, advantage of and killed, um, of course, because yeah. of human. Uh, because of human
1: failure, you know well, uh, everything are, going on in Ukraine right now shouldn't really be happening. And yeah. um
0: but we're talking about those civilians God that are being a, all those,
1: the indiscriminate bombings with the civilians. Like they don't deserve to die that way, but yet they do deserve to die. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because they're sinners, and and, and that that's the, see that's one of those hard truths about that nobody really ever likes to talk about. That we do deserve to die. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? We do not. We are not entitled to the grace of God. And I feel like so many people feel like they're entitled to his to, to his love yeah. and his salvation. It's like, no, 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 no. They really
0: hang on the he died for me um, and, and make the priority like themselves, the me portion instead of the fact that like, well, you had already put yourself in a position where you deserve to die and now God has to go, has to do this, or not even has to, like chose to mm. do this to give you um, essentially a way back to him.
1: Well, I... I... I think on judgment day, nobody will question the justice of God, you know, and, and Paul talks about vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy and the vessels of wrath and the vessels of mercy, um, in both his glory is demonstrated, right? Um, that if you're a vessel of mercy, you're a believer and he's going to demonstrate his character by saying, I forgive you the grace, right? That mercy that's given to us. Those who've rejected the provision to receive His mercy, i.e., Jesus, He's like, well, I'm going to show, be glorified in the demonstration of my justice, and no one's going to question it. Nobody's going to look at it and say, um, that, that that's not right. What God is doing, where no one's going to question it. And I, I think many believers, like I said, the the idea that we are entitled to grace, that we're entitled to His forgiveness
0: um i mean all the way through entitled to life entitled to a good life entitled to all these entitled to money and it's like
1: well but in his character though like we're we think we're entitled to his patience yeah Mm -hmm. why why are we so quick to attack sin in our life and combat sin in our life um well because we know god's going to forgive us and you know he should forgive us Mm -hmm. he's god well you're not entitled to that. He will. He is patient. He does love you. You, you know what I mean. He, he yeah. will give you that stuff, but you're not entitled to it. Absolutely. That doesn't give you. And an the idea that you feel like, yeah, because you feel like you're you entitled want. to it, keeps you in your sin. You need to come to understanding that you don't deserve it. You're not entitled to it. And yet, when you come to a point of understanding that I'm not entitled to it, and yet I receive it, then it creates in yourself an, an urgency to correct everything. That is dishonoring because as Paul also says, don't abuse and offend, you know, the cross of Christ. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Don't, don't, don't abuse the grace given you do not keep on sinning just because, you know, he'll forgive you. You're not entitled to that grace, whether you, cause he's going to give it to you, but you're not entitled to it. Yeah. So don't stop sinning. You know, that's offensive to the blood of Jesus that you realize that he did that for me. And yet I'm going to c- continue on living the way I want to love. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I think what's interesting about when we just summing it with the kids is that, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't know all that about Eden and what Gethsemane means and, um, you know, the entry the that they're staring up geographic, the geographic context that he's staring up at the temple yeah. and they didn't need all Before that. four trials and all, all that. All they needed to know was that there was a, there was a God who, there is there is man who offended God who sinned against Him, and then there is a God who actively, courageously, and passionately worked to reestablish that. And um, the betrayal of of Judas, he says, that's sad. It's 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 that is really the more of the spirit I think we should enter Easter with. Not that we feel guilty, but that we feel very loved. Mm. You know what I mean, and that we. Understand that the the tomb is empty, that he's risen, and that that should instill with us in terms of emotion one of joy and celebration, not one of guilt and shame because he already paid all that. I think it's just as equally offensive. How would I say it? It's as equally offensive to continue on sinning because you know you'll be forgiven. The other side of that, it's equally offensive is to understand you're forgiven understanding um that you're free f- from that condemnation but you won't live in joy and celebration in it. Yeah. You know it's a if if I gave Selena if I Selena I want to give you a car. Here's a car to a brand new Mercedes. She and wants then, a
0: Tesla. Okay. Tesla <laughs> You want a Tesla. <laughs> we want a Tesla.
1: Here's keys to a to a new brand new Tesla. And you put that Tesla car keys up, you hang them on You know, or wherever you would hang them up at home, and you refuse to drive the Tesla. And when Emran comes and says, "Why aren't you driving the Tesla?" You're like, "What?" And you fall on your knees, bawling, "I don't deserve the Tesla. It was just given to me." Right? He says, "God loved the world that He gave. It's a Mm -hmm. gift." Yeah. You know, I don't deserve this Tesla, so I can't drive it. Like, no, Mm -hmm. take the keys, drive your Tesla. Living that joy, living that celebration, celebration. living that celebration and that joy of the gift. You don't deserve it, yeah. That's the point. That's the point. Mm. So, um, anyways, I I love that we've been in Easter. Um, we, we could do years on e, you know, with with of course. Um, we we may, have
0: done about two and a half thousand years. Yeah, I mean, well, and it's thousand. something
1: that we celebrate all year. But I think this particular time is a time we set apart to really focus mm-hmm. our hearts to remember. You know, that's why we're doing so many episodes on it because it is. It's not just the anchor of faith. It's it's in the anchor of our hope and joy, but it, it's, it's also very fundamental to, to move forward and grow in faith to fight sin. You know what I mean? To understand the realities that that's surrounded. So.
0: All right. So thank you so much for that. I was getting a little, uh, emotional there. Um, I really, really love this episode. And, uh, so thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Selena, for, uh, joining us as well. Um, and I hope that, Everyone that uh, listens to this, hope, hopefully you'll learn something. Hopefully you'll take something from it that you can carry forward into the week.
1: Happy Easter. Love you guys. Happy Easter.
3: Thank you for tuning in to Real Bible Stories. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to be notified each week when we upload new episodes. Real Bible Stories is produced in part by Palms Church in 29 Palms, California. If you would like more information or want to check out archived sermons and Bible studies, please check out the church website at palmsbaptistchurch.com or check them out on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Real Bible stories can be found wherever podcasts are found. Thank you again, and we will see you next week.